Next Sunday, we're going to have a chariot Sunday. So you should all come dressed in your chariots, t-shirts, your chariots, leathers, your everything. And then we're going to go and have a picnic. I don't know where yet, but we're going to go and ride our bicycles, our motorcycles. And uh, some of us can do cycles in leathers too. But uh, we're going to go and do some... If you don't have a motorbike, just come and join us and let's go and have a picnic. Amen. Say, have some fellowship yes. around the world. You sound very enthusiastic about that. Yes. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, uh, in the last week or so, I've been in touch with Brother Joe a lot. We've talked quite a lot. On the, on the telephone, and indeed this weekend I was on the phone with him quite a bit. And we've been talking about next year, and he's, you know, uh, Brother Jerry was waiting for Brother Copeland to give, to give him uh, his ministry schedule for 2024, because Brother Jerry organizes his whole ministry schedule around Brother Copeland's meetings. He doesn't plan meetings until he knows what Brother Copeland's meetings are. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. That's a level of honor that is very seldom seen in the church. Hey? Especially if you've been with someone that long and you're in your 70s and he's in his 80s and you still have that level of honor. That's remarkable. It's spiritual. It's worthy of honor itself. Amen. Anyway, so it turns out that Brother Copeland gave him his ministry schedule a week ago. And uh, so Brother Joe and I were talking about the schedule for Africa for next year. And so we were talking about the possibilities of going to countries in North Africa, predominantly. Uh, going back to Ethiopia, maybe going back, going to Dubai or other places that uh, have had given invitations to Brother Jerry, want him to come and minister there. And so we were talking about all of that and... Just in passing, I made a very light comment, you know, because he was here in February. You know, so I said, well, if he's coming to Africa, don't forget about us, just because he was here this year. You know, don't forget about us. No, John, we never forget about you. So he phoned me, uh, he phoned me on, when was it, Friday night? He phoned me on Friday night, and uh, he said, John, I just want to give you some dates for next year. I said, well, John, I'm busy having some family time with my, with my kids, my grandchildren. Tell them I say I send my love, but I'm going to give you these dates anyway. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you know, because I'm going to be away in the U.S. for a couple of weeks, and I wanted to have some family time. So... He says, no, I understand, but uh, I'm going to give you these dates. So he says, we're not going to Ethiopia, and we're not going to Dubai, uh, but we are coming to South Africa. I said, you are? He said, yeah. He said, October next year, 20 to 23 October, we're going to have four nights in South Africa. And uh, he says, if we don't yet have our Falcon 900, we'll come with our Falcon 50 again. Hallelujah. And we'll see you next year in October. He said, announce it to the church this Sunday. Announce it to the church. I said, okay, well then I will. I, I, I went from there and we, we had some dinner together as a family on Friday evening. And, and I said to the family, I know I'm God's favorite. Because I didn't even really make a, I mean, it wasn't really like send him a letter invitation. It was just like a, I know we have the privilege of having him here regularly, sort of, you know given how far we are, you know, but, uh, but he's coming to us. I wonder why. I think he likes it here. We're his tribe. We're his family. We're his people. Hallelujah. So, this is hot off the press. So we, I haven't had really any time to digest it, and we will, we will talk about how we will go about... Uh, Filling up that time and making more significant, it's from a Sunday to a Wednesday. So, 
Uh, in fact, Joe had just come out of the meeting with Brother Jerry, and, uh, and he said, uh, I don't even know what days there are. So while we're on the phone, he's checking on his calendar. Oh, I see it's a Sunday to a Wednesday. I said, well, I'm happy for that. We've got, we got a weekend meeting in here, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I said, will he do Sunday morning, Sunday night? He said, yeah, I'll put it on the calendar. I said, okay then. Praise the Lord. So God is good to us. Hallelujah. Like I said, we are a favored people. We are. We are blessed. You know, he's coming to visit us. That's his purpose. He's flying all the way here just to be with us. Oh, man. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right. If you are not aware yet, I'm about to make you aware. But... Uh, the Hamas launched a full-scale war against Israel this weekend. And uh, the, for the first time ever, if you know, the Hamas is the military arm of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and they on purpose separated themselves from being attached to a state government because officially PLO is not a state. They are just a political organization. But it also means they can wage war without being affiliated or allowing any organization to be punished for their actions. But uh, to give you an idea of what happened, uh, a couple of years ago, or last year, I believe it was last year or the year before, um, Hamas launched a number of missiles against Israel. And the total amount of missiles they launched against Israel in an entire year, Hamas launched against Israel in 24 hours. And the whole idea behind it was that they would try and overwhelm what is called the Iron Dome defense system, whereby Israel will shoot down all missiles that come into their airspace. They have an anti anti-missile defense system that automatically tracks and shoots down uh, missiles coming in. Uh, it's an automatic air defense system. And so they succeeded. And a number of missiles landed in Israel and have killed hundreds and hundreds of people. And uh, they, at the same time, they launched a, a sea strike and a land strike, which has never been done before. And uh, so they've taken Israeli uh, women and children prisoners, and they've taken some military leaders, some military men prisoners. And uh, this, is a, this is a major thing that has happened. And uh, in, a, in a little while, I'm going to ask us to pray together, but uh, I need to share the word with you a little bit, but I want to show you what, uh, I want to show you how God's word is the truth. Amen. Amen. Last weekend, we had an amazing weekend, didn't we? Yes. Crossover. And so tr crossover is, uh, is to transform or to change. And uh, it literally means to go across or go beyond and uh, to go to, into another place or another state. So you go across and form. And I spoke about this at length last weekend, so I don't want to go again in too much into that right now. But crossover is not something that is uh, an intellectual process, although it can sometimes be that. It's a choice. It's always a choice. If you're going to cross over into another form or another state, you can't intellectualize it, you have to choose it. You might have an intellectual process that goes on with it, but you have to choose it. Just like believing in Jesus, you can't intellectualize Christian faith. You might have intellectual processes, but ultimately any belief that you have, any faith that you have is a choice. It's not an intellectual state. 
And you can't become a faith-believing person through an intellectual state of arrival. You can't think through the process of elimination of all of the pros and cons of faith and then through an intellectual process arrive at faith. You might have an intellectual process that happens, but ultimately it's a choice. It's a choice that you have to make. And so if we are going to be transformed, if we're going to cross over, if we're going to move from one state to another, although there might be processes involved, although there might be intellectual things that we do uh, and logical steps that we make, crossing over is a choice first. And if you make a choice that is a choice of uh, quality and it's a, a choice that you you want to see come to fulfillment, it's going to require commitment. It's going to require energy. It's going to require some resources. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require many things if you're going to make this decision, quality decision to transform, to cross over. And so we, as a church, need to do that. For a minute, I want to just uh, contrast to you the, in the, the personal walk that you and I have with God versus the corporate walk or the church environment that we have. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, if you just bear with me, the New Living Translation. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, and I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. That's Peter talking. I'm soon going to die. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. This is the Apostle Peter speaking. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven and we were, and we were with him on the holy mountain. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. So Peter's saying, that thing that we saw with God speaking to Jesus and saw the glory of God on Jesus, that wasn't a clever story to try and make ourselves look important. We saw him with our own eyes. We heard, we heard the voice of, the, of God speaking to him. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. So now Peter is talking from an authentic place of witnessing to an authentic place of the message that comes from the prophets comes from God. And you've got to hear, even though they declared through the voices of men, those men spoke on behalf of God. You must play, pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, if, if God has chosen, as he has, to speak through the vessels of men on the earth, then he has chosen over a long period of time to use men because, I mean, this is not a big, this is not such a big thing, you know, in, if you really are a believer because he made men in his image, didn't he? I mean, he made the earth for the man that was his image. He made the earth so that he could create an environment for the man that was his image. So if he made the man in his image, then the image of the man, he gave him dominion and authority over all things in the earth. 
So if he made man with that level of authority and dominion and power, that's not, that shouldn't be too much of a big issue for us to recognize that he would still continue to speak through men. Yes? yes. I mean, this is, this is not... And I've preached this many times. I've preached this many times and I will say it again and again. When he said to Adam and Eve, have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea, over the animals of the earth, the crawling creatures, the hoof creatures, all the different creatures. When he said, have dominion, take authority, you are living in the earth. He didn't just say only Christians will have that dominion. He actually said all mankind will have that dominion. Because all mankind came from Adam and Eve. But all mankind only knows how to use his dominion for self-interest. Only Christians know how to have dominion for the interest of everyone else. Because only Christians can walk in the love of God, whereas anybody else does not know how to walk in the love of God. So that's why the earth is in the mess that it's in. <coughs> Truly, the earth is in a mess because the people that have dominion and authority on the earth as God declared we should all have, don't know how to use it. They only know how to use it for themselves, not for the best interest of everybody else. Now, the apostle Peter, he's saying, we need to pay close attention to what's gone before because what's gone before pointed to Jesus. And then when Jesus came, all of their words were confirmed in the arrival of Jesus. And when Jesus came, he made everything on the earth about him as a fulfillment of all of their words. Okay, don't get lost now. Okay. So when Jesus speaks into the earth through men, and men are speaking into the earth on his behalf, he is obligated to make those words come to pass because those words reveal Jesus. If men speak for themselves, about themselves, for themselves with their own self-agenda, he is not obligated to make those words come to pass. He's only obligated to make words come to pass that glorify Jesus and glorify the church of the Lord Jesus. But if there's personal agendas involved and there's self-interest involved, then God is not obligated to make those words come to pass. Yeah. And so, uh, if we walk, you and I walk, in Christ Jesus, in a personal, in a personal capacity of, I receive the kingdom of God, I receive dominion and authority and power over all things that are mine, then I have a walk with God that as I speak His words into my life, He's obligated to make those words come to pass. Come bear with me now. Can you see the connection? If I trust the prophets of old as words coming from God that were revealed in Jesus, and brought about all together in Jesus, then as I believe in the words of all of the Old Testament words, that Jesus would become the Savior. As I believe that, then Jesus becomes my Savior. If Jesus is my Savior, then I can receive all of the inheritance and all of the prophecies that were declared beforehand, I can receive those. But I can only receive them if I believe that everything else pointed to him. That means all of his word is true to me. If I believe that, now I speak his word, then all of his word becomes true for me because I made all of his words past for me. Now all of his words become to me and for me. If I say, I don't receive all of the, all of the words of God, and now I'm trying to speak the words of God for me. My heart's not going to believe it. I'm really preaching good already. 
My heart's not going to believe it because there's a whole lot of words that God spoke that reflect Jesus. And uh, I, I don't really receive those words. So I'll choose which words I believe or I don't believe from the past. So now if I want to take God's words and speak them out for my life, and I want to do that selectively too, then they're not going to work for me because I don't know which I really believe in. Then faith becomes what you believe. And if you don't believe all of God's word, then you're already in a place where you are compromising yourself. So on a personal level, the church needs to bring hope. On a very personal level, the church really needs to bring to the world uh, an opportunity to see God as the source of the future. The, the, the world needs to see the church as the light. And they need to see the light in you and me. And they need to see how God is favoring us and good to us. And we should be the testimony of the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. But we also need to be that same witness corporately. You know, my belief in Jesus as my Lord and Savior was not dependent on whether when I was in my teenage years and I was, I was playing rugby and soccer and all the sports that I played, I really wanted to have uh, better boots and better equipment than my parents could afford. I would normally arrive at at a sporting event, practice or whatever, and I would, have the, I would have the cheapest boots or the cheapest or secondhand things, whatever it was that I could wear, I would always have the cheapest. I was, and I was always looking at my friends and all my colleagues that were in my teams with me, and I was always wondering what it would be like to wear those pair of boots because those were the new fandangles, most colorful, better studs, better laces better everything and I always wondered what it would like it be like if I could have a proper pair of something you know whether I had good boots or not didn't change my belief in Jesus and I didn't I didn't give up on my walk with Jesus because I didn't get a good a better pair of boots You know, those days, I don't want to take too much of a sidetrack now, but there was a magazine, a story that was out. It was called Billy the Boot. And Billy the Boot had a pair of magic boots. And he was such an ordinary, average soccer player until he put his magic boots on. And when he put his magic boots on, then he became Billy the Boot. And he became this absolute superstar soccer player. Could dribble past anybody, control any ball, score as many goals as he wanted to. Billy the boot. And I remember, wow, you know, always having the cheapest pair of boots. I wish I could have even a proper pair of boots. Maybe I would become Billy the boot then. It was a long time ago. <laughs> Billy the boot. There's a blast from my past. <laughs> but Jesus was always the answer to me for everything. He was the reason I was alive. He was the reason I lived. He was the reason I went to church. He was the reason I did everything. And even though I enjoyed sport and I enjoyed the things that, that were around me as a young man, young boy and a teenager, I mean, I, you know, I, Jesus was everything to me. And when I grew older, he still became that to me, whether, whether he uh, gave me financial blessings or any other kind of blessings, he was always the, the foundation of my everything. Is it any wonder then that because he's the foundation of my everything and he brings a word to me about how to be marriage, that I receive it completely because all of his word is everything to me. So because everything, all of his word is everything to me, then I can take that word and speak it into my marriage and it, 
becomes the very living force of my marriage and my finances and my health and my everything else because I believe it. Because everything is mine. So on a very personal level, we need to live life in God that is personal. But if we just have everything that is about us personally, then we are going to be lost in this haze of personal desire and personal needs and personal wishes and personal dreams and personal ambitions and personal everything. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a worrying trend in the church that the church has become, is preaching Jesus as a personal a personal exchange agent, if you like. I just, you know, he's got to be my, my, my personal helper and hope and my personal emotional support and my personal everything uh, all the time. And that's all he is. Whereas actually God wants to be much more to us. So I know I started with Israel. I'll get back there. When you are in it. And so I am going to talk about Israel, but I want to tell you that what I'm going to share with you is not in any way got anything to do with what happened with Hamas. This is already stuff that was in my heart from last week, uh, but I'm going to read it to you from the book of Acts. But Paul in chapter 13, verse 14, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. So I'm just wanting you to see again that whatever God's going to do in the earth, he's going to use human beings to speak it out. Whether it's revelation knowledge, whether it's an encouragement from God, or whether it's a prophecy that needs to be fulfilled, or whether it's some other thing that God wants to do in the earth, he's going to use men. He's not going to write it in the sky. I mean, you might see the signs of it in the sky, but he's going to use men. Now, this is what he's saying to God, to the men of Israel and God-fearing Gentiles. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then, with the powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. I'm going to read some more scripture, but I want to just show you something that based on this scripture, and I wanted to use this scripture because I didn't want to go to Genesis, Exodus, and all of those Old Testament encounters or stories of how they did it. But this shows by the word of God that God took them out of slavery and he made them cross over the Red Sea. He made them cross over with a powerful, mighty hand. So remember the story. And he's talking to them like they know the story. So they came to the, to the Red Sea how are we going to, here comes all the armies from Egypt. That Pharaoh was angry. He was angry because his firstborn son had died. And all of his officers and all of his princes and all of the people that were in Egypt, all of their firstborn children had died. And there was great wailing and mourning in Egypt. And they gave all their wealth to Israel. So they lost their kids they lost their wealth and now they realize that all their slave labor 
and their future wealth is walking away from them. And so the Pharaoh decides, we're going after these guys and we're going to come and make slavery even harsher than they had before. So Israel, there they are, women, children, grannies, grandpas, everybody together, warriors, workers, everybody together. They're walking and they're on their way. They get to the Red Sea, no way through. God says, it's time for me to show you just how important you are to me because of what I promised to Abraham. It doesn't matter how mighty and how much technology and how much the force is that's coming behind you, I've got a way out for you. He says, Moses, take your rod, hold it over the waters. And as he does this, the waters start to part and Israel starts to walk through this wall of water on the sides and the land is dry enough so that they don't get stuck in there. Israel did not get stuck in there. They walk through and I mean, this is the most remarkable thing to me. I mean, that Pharaoh with his army would look at this event happening and think that after the 10 plagues, which resulted in his children dying, that God showed him how powerful he was. And he's looking at this path through the water. He's looking at these people going through the water and he's got to be recognizing the same God that caused this to happen. He's causing this to happen. But such is his anger and such is his his, his desire to come against the children of people and take them slavery for more, get his wealth back, punish them for his children dying, that he just goes straight into the water. I'm going to go get them. And where the children of Israel walk through safely, his chariots get stuck in the mud, the water closes. End of story. Kaput. All of the leaders of Israel, of Egypt, the kings, the princes, the warriors, the horses, the chariots, the mighty military force, the future economic well-being of Egypt died in that whole water right there. Not only did Pharaoh and his lose his life, his children, his firstborn had lost their life. Do you understand how God obliterated not just the current evil force against the children of Israel, but even the firstborn generation was taken away so that the firstborn would not wreak vengeance. Hello. God showed himself strong on behalf of his people. Amen. Then this Bible, then the Bible says that, you know, he put up with them in the wilderness, all of their nonsense. And then the time came when he was going to give them the lands filled with milk and honey and, and all of that. And he says, time to cross another sea, cross the Jordan Sea. But this time he did it differently. He got the priests to come and stand with their feet in the water. And as the priests walked, the waters parted and Israel walked through the water and got to the other side. And I spoke about that last weekend. And that, and that uh, uh, you know, he didn't just want to show them once again what your future can look like because the same power that's available to open these waters is the same power that will be with you everywhere. And so the very next thing that he does once the covenant is sealed was circumcision. The next thing he does is he gets them to walk around Jericho praising, praising, just praising, and through a praising an exercise of praise, God just pulls down an entire system on itself and obliterates it. I'm here to tell you that we have a mighty God. We have a mighty, mighty, powerful God that is bigger, better, greater than anything that can come against us. We have a mighty God. We have a powerful God. His name is above every name that is named on the earth. 
In fact, Jesus has given him all, God the Father has given Jesus all power and all authority over everything on, in the heavens, on the earth and beneath the earth. There is no power that can match his power. Nothing. Nothing. This is a good thing for you and me. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel, the prophet. And the people begged for a king. And God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found David's son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I am not. But he's coming soon and I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. So, I want to tell you uh, that there are many things, and I, I have said this to you previously, that when you look on in the world and you begin to see the alignment of nations and you begin to see uh, scriptures that say people will speak peace, peace. I heard one of the most amazing speeches of the Prime Minister of Israel, President Netanyahu in the United Nations, less than a month ago, talk about how, what a great thing Israel, what a great power Israel is and how Israel is in the forefront of artificial intelligence and how Israel is one of the greatest state, technologi technologically advanced nations on the earth and agriculture. He, I mean, it was an amazing thing and, and he was saying, Israel is going to be part of everything that's going to happen in the world. And I have no reason to disbelieve that because they are God's children. They are his covenant people. But at the same time, the Bible says, says people will talk peace, peace, and then there will also be wars. And there will be rumors of wars. Yes? And so whatever is going to happen on the earth, we are barreling towards it at a great rate of knots. Yeah. So. When we hear of all of these things, we can't afford to get faint and be weary in our hearts. We have to be strong. And Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, and I read some of this last week, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instruction Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study. This book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Can I ask you, what was he being told to study? Moses' words. Moses' writings that God gave Moses to give people. So, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with me wherever I go. God is with me. God is with me. Wherever I go, God is with me. I know God is with me because I think about His Word day and night. I think about it. I keep it in my heart. Everything that's happening in my world, I evaluate it against the Word of God that I've placed in my heart. I don't evaluate what's happening in the world as to whether it's right or wrong. I evaluate it by what the Word says. 
And so I don't have to be the, the, I don't have to be the measuring person of what's happening in the world. All I've got to do is say, I have the word in me. Where is the word leading me? Day and night. Where is the word leading me? Day and night. If I meditate on the word day and night, it makes me strong. It fills me with courage. Come on. If I let, if I let the word of God, if I let circumstances get to my head, then what's in my head is going to be what I live. Because my head is going to dictate my emotions. And my emotions and my head are going to get into an agreement. Then I'm going to do things that these things say I should do. But if I've got the word in my heart, day and night, if I'm thinking about the word day and night, it fills me with hope. It fills me with strength. It fills me with courage. Yes. No matter how bad the times get, it fills me with courage. I truly believe this with all my heart that we as a generation of people are living in the most peaceful time in human history that's ever existed. I'm talking about the last 50 years. Because if you look back at the whole history of man, there's always been war. There's always been civil conflicts. There's always been strong forces attacking weak forces, taking people as slaves, doing many things. Because of technology and because of geographical boundaries and because of all of the things that we are faced with in the world today, we are we living in, and medical science has provided us with health and credit has given us money way beyond what we have earned before we earn it. Yes? So people have houses that they don't own, but they but they live in them as though they own them because the bank owns them. People think that this is my house, but they don't read it's not your house. If you have a bond, it's not your house. It belongs to the bank. Just miss a few payments and you find out who it belongs to. And then if you miss a few more payments, you'll find out that they'll come and ask you to leave the house. And you might say, no, but this is my house. And they say, no, no, it's our house. We just loaned you the money to pay for your house, to stay in for it for a while. So if you take the credit system of the world, you take the medical system of the world, you take the governments of the world and the way the governments are wanting to have this united peace, I'll tell you, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but the G20 government forces, the G20, are working on a global digital currency that is going to be, as soon as they can get it working, they're going to have a global digital currency that'll have benefits and that'll have all kinds of stuff. And all of it is to secure this utopia of peace. I wonder what that sounds like. Sounds like they think that they are the government of the peoples of the earth. Whereas God said the government will be on Jesus' shoulders, not the government of the earth. And therein is already shows you the conflict. Humanity says we have to obey the governments of the earth. Yes, but you have to obey Jesus as your government. And wherever the conflict comes between Jesus as your government and the government of the earth, you've got to choose Jesus. Psalm 48 verse 9 says, Oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. That means you come to church. As your name deserves, oh God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Psalm 119 verse 47. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Remember your promise to me. It is my only hope. Let's not put our hope in a system. Let's put our hope in Jesus. Let's put our hope in the word of God. Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. The proud hold me in utter contempt. Of course they do. 
You see a Christian that's fully sold out to God, they're going to say you're radical, you're extremist. They hold me in utter contempt, but I do not turn away from your instructions. I meditate on your age-old regulations. Oh Lord, they comfort me. Praise the Lord. It's time for you and me to make sure that our mind and our whole world is filled with the ways of God. It's time to cross over from earthly thinking to eternal thinking. It's time for us to cross over from natural ways to supernatural ways. It's time to cross over from natural thinking to divine thinking. It has all, all of what you need is in there. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ, in God. Come on. You and I are going to be faced with this every single day. What's my real life? You know, this is a challenge for us. If you don't eat for a couple of days, you are going to really begin to focus on what you think is real life. Don't eat for a week and let your body tell you what's real life. Your body is going to say, I need to eat, I need to eat, I need to eat, I need to eat. Real life is about eating. That's what's going to happen. If you don't eat, if you don't drink water for a couple of days, you're going to find out just how much your body starts to scream at you, and then your body's going to tell you this is real life. Huh. So Jesus gave us the answer. The enemy comes to him after he was led by the Spirit to fast for 40 days and nights. And as he's coming out of his fasting, the devil comes to him and he says, why don't you turn stones into bread? Jesus was going to perform a miracle not too far from that date where he was going to turn water into wine. The devil knew the power that Jesus had, that everything on the earth could immediately be turned into a resource that Jesus wanted it, he could have it. All he needed to do was what? How do you think the devil was tempting Jesus to turn stones into bread? How was he going to do it? Come on, come on. Speak it. Speak it. How is he? I mean, he's going to speak it. He's not going to take the stone, throw it into the air and say, Lord, let it come back bread. Get out of the way, lest the stone hits you on the head. Yes? He was wanting him to use the power of his words of life and death, to use the power of his words to turn the stones into bread. And guess what? The stones would have, command, would have obeyed his command. But then he would have lost his authority to a suggestion not to the will of God. His authority was in the will of God. The devil wanted him to have the authority of suggestion to run his life. So now you and I are still faced with this, the authority of suggestion. Do this, do this, follow this, go this, use this, do that, suggestion. Whereas God is saying, Put the word of God in your heart, in your mouth, in your mind, day and night, day and night. Use the word of God. Let it become your strength. Let it become your stronghold. Then it fills you with strength and courage and boldness so that when God speaks to you through the word, now you are in a place where he creates for you. So Jesus did the same type of miracle soon after that. 
turning water into wine. What was the difference? The difference was not a demonic suggestion. It was a requirement by God for, to answer honor. His mother was proclaimed to have honor before God and before men. She used the honor to make a pull on God who had put the seed in her womb. And so when she had no answer other than Jesus, she turned to Jesus and he said, my time's not yet. She said, honor says it is. And this was no longer an evil temptation. It was a force of God that says honor is asking. Therefore, I, God the Father, answer with honor because I proclaimed your favor and your honor. When you were a virgin woman and you obeyed me, you answered for your whole life that any time you called on me for favor and to meet a need, I would be there for you, Mary. Because I declared it over you when you said yes to me. So now she's making a pull on honor. It's not a temptation for Jesus because he's answering honor because he has honor for his father. And now his father says, Jesus, go about your business. Water into one. Do you see the difference? One was, I'm going to let your hunger talk to you. Another one was honor is speaking to you. Completely different reality of life. Huh. Can you see it? If you can't, you better listen to this message again and again and again until you get to see it. Because this is, this is how we must think about heaven's realities, not our natural realities. That's what the scripture says. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Jesus was responding to a heavenly force of honor. The devil wanted him to answer to an earthly response of lust or temptation in hunger. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole earth, the whole world, you will share in His glory. You share in His glory because you identify with Him in everything. So, you need to think about the things of heaven. So put death to the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. A greedy person is one who worships idols, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming, not on the Christians, but on the world. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. This is the crossover. Be renewed. Be renewed. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. I want to say to you, if you're a slave, if you are a slave and Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, how do you think that changes your world? You see, we have a fairly easy life, actually. We have a fairly easy life. And so we don't, we don't tend to think of ourselves in terms of slavery. But if you are a slave and you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, what is it that's going to change about your life? 
In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in another place, and he says, if you are a slave, don't seek to be free from your master. Rather, become a person who lives the God kind of life to your master. And so, if you're a Christian and you're a slave, you would be tempted to say, I've got all this freedom in Christ. How is it that man can enslave me? And you might be in a position where you might say, I am free in Christ, therefore no man can enslave me. I will run away from my master. Well, if they found you, they kill you. Paul wasn't trying to tell them to be, he wasn't trying to promote a system of slavery. He was dealing with human condition on the earth. And he was saying, whatever the human condition is that you find yourself in, put on Christ, live in a heavenly reality, not an earthly thought process. Because if you don't put on Christ as a slave, you're gonna be so angry because you know that you are eternally free, but as a human, you are enslaved. You're gonna become so angry that you are going to do something you shouldn't do. And he's, I mean, he's painting a picture of how the sin nature enslaves you. He says, now get rid of that stuff that slaves you. Put on Christ that's freed you. Put on Christ. That's freed you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from God, from Christ, rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. And now verse 16 says, let the message of, about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So, in, in closing then, I want to say, I want to say, the God the God of Israel that parted the Red Sea is our God. Same God. Same living, powerful God. That God who parted the Red Sea is in you. He's in you. That God that caused 10 plagues to come upon Egypt because of their Hardened heart because of Pharaoh's hardened heart. He permitted those things to happen on the earth. Is the same God that permits things to happen on the earth because of sin. And it will be judged. He has to do it. He has to let hard-hearted men have their way. The same God that commanded wealth to flow in one night into, into Israel for 400 years of abuse. They paid for 400 years of abuse, Egypt paid back to Israel in one day, one night. They walked away with 400 years of wealth of Egypt. They walked out of Egypt with that wealth in their hands. This is not a fairy tale story, people. This is a living God that made this happen. It's the same God that fed them day and night in the desert. He fed them. He clothed them. He kept them healthy. He gave them their own private heating and air conditioning system. Same God. It's the same God. When, the, when they got to the River Jordan, 
that he opened the Jordan for them to cross over. It's the same God that obliterated Jericho. Same God lives in you and me. And if he could take his people across, and I'm talking millions of people, he could get them to cross over. He could get them to move from one state to another. He could move them from one place to another. He could literally get them across through his power and his creativity. What makes you think that we have a barrier that can stop us? Hey, you tell me, is there a barrier that can stop you and me? I don't know if you're listening to me. I don't know if you get this. So, so do you think what Jericho stood for? So if we talk about the two rivers, we talk about barriers that, are, that crossed over. The big thing that stood before them and all of their future was the city of Jericho. And it stood for the institutions of engineering, military might, education, all of the stuff that all comes together. That's what Jericho stood for. And God said, don't you lift a hand in battle against Jericho. You just praise me and you praise me day after day and you obey me and you praise me and you obey me and you praise me and watch me obliterate the systems that wish to control your future. I will obliterate it in front of your very eyes. Just praise me. 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 Give me first place. Do what I say. Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. Make it part of your conversation. Put it in your mouth. Keep it in your heart. Keep it in your mouth. Day after day, keep it there. Cross over from negative talk to powerful talk. Cross over from depressive thinking to liberated thinking. Cross over from those things that want to keep you captive and be free in Christ Jesus. It's a crossover moment for all of us here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is not a barrier on this earth that can stand against them, the people of God. We are His people. We are His people. We are His people. We are His people. I'm telling you, we are His people. And the Bible says in Psalm 122, the Bible says that we must pray for Israel and the peace of Israel and that there will be peace in the borders and the boundaries of Israel and there will be peace and prosperity. I think this is a good time for us to pray for Israel. But guess what? If we identify with Israel, which we should, because Abraham came from them and brought Jesus to us, then when we pray for Israel's peace, we pray for our peace. Because we are the covenant children of God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So we pray, Father, right now we pray in the name of Jesus that whatever's happening in Israel and whatever spiritual forces are combining in the end of the times, in the end of the ages, in the end of world events, Father, that you would bring your angels and intervene in the ways that you need to intervene to keep your covenant people safe, to keep your covenant people in peace and have, let them have a long life of prosperity and joy. We pray, we pray that Jerusalem would be in peace in Jesus' name. We are being obedient to your word and doing it together as a people this morning in obedience. And we declare that as we are obeying this, as you have told us, we also live in peace. Hallelujah. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I, I am not concerned about world events. I'm also not concerned about what is happening around me. I have Jesus in my heart. It doesn't mean to say I don't think about these things. I do, but I always bring the word to them. I allow facts to be filtered by the faith. Hey, that works quite good. Faith filter, facts filtered by faith. I like that. Facts filtered by faith. The future filtered by favor. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Won't you stand with me, please?
Hallelujah. I, I have endeavored to bring the word of God to you today in such a way that you would recognize that there is a very personal walk that you have, but that there is also a, a crossover that we must have as a, as a whole people. That it's not just about us individually, but it's also about all of us corporately. And whilst we all need to have a very personal walk with God, we also need to have a very corporate walk with God. And the two are intertwined and they are linked. And God has ordained it to be that way. Hallelujah. Why don't you put your hand on your heart, please. And let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, Jesus, you are the Lord and Savior of my life. You are are my healer. You are my provider. You are my future. And I thank you, Lord, that from this day, I'm going to put your word in my mouth, in my mind, in my heart, day and night, every day, every night. And I'm going to be strong and courageous. And I will not be afraid. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I pray that the peace of God is your future. It rules your mind and it rules your heart. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Take that song that we sang today and you find refuge and you make Jesus your fortress. No weapon formed against you will prosper. He gives his angels charge over you and me. He surrounds us and protects us. And the word of God and the blood of Jesus are powerful forces standing as a shield against all things that would come against you in Jesus' name. And we command our angels to go and hearken to the Word of God and be there for our protection. And we also ask the ministering spirits, the angels of God, to go out and set free all of the finances that God has ordained for us to have. All of those business opportunities, all of those income creating things. We say, go and unlock them. Go and make them work for us. Go and open them up and bring in rivers of income and rivers of prosperity and rivers of well-being in Jesus' name. We speak that out to the angels, the ministering spirits, to go and do the word of the Lord on our behalf in Jesus' name. You all agree with that today? Say amen. Amen. Well, be blessed. Message moment today at five o'clock. Amen. Thank you.